Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. Our scripture reading this morning is Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. And Paul says, You should have the same attitude toward one another that Christ had who, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking on the form of a slave, by looking like other men, and by sharing in human nature, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. As a result, God highly exalted him and gave him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Well, hello there, Hillside. Thank you for joining us today as we continue this series on the book of Philippians called Confined and Content. My name is is Mike. I'm the student pastor here at Hillside, and we appreciate you joining in with us, whether you are a part of Hillside or you are just checking in and seeing what we are going through. Thank you for being here today. These last couple of weeks, Pastor Pete has been discussing uh, what Paul means when he says like in confinement, in the hard circumstances, you can still be content. You can still find, as we looked at, what really matters about life. And in those moments of pausing, God has a chance to start working and revealing the innermost parts of what's going on inside of you. And Paul continues that in chapter two, and he kind of starts moving us into even more so these relational things, these challenges that he wants to see within the church of Philippi. And he says things like this, I want you to be of the same mind. I want you to be of the same love. I want you to be united in one spirit, in one purpose. I don't want you to be motivated by selfish ambition, and each of you in humility should, should be looking out for the interest of others, not just the interest of yourself. And then Paul says this in verse five, you should have the same attitude toward one another that Christ Jesus had for you. I, uh, this last week, just started, I, I subscribed to something called Masterclass. And if you're not familiar with it, it's this website that has all of this content from people that are kind of all over the place when it comes to what they do and what profession they're in, but they're the experts. They have been doing it very well for a lot of years, and I just want to hear their take on leadership. You know, they have other things on different sports that you can take, film, photography, uh, cooking, gardening, interior decorating, comedy, just all of it. But the one that I've been drawn to is the, the CEO of Disney, Bob Iger, has been just kind of sharing these overviews of leadership and how he sees it. And then what I've noticed they do in this online content is they will share some of these ideas and then the next video will be called a case study. 
it's not really about what they said necessarily or giving you extra challenge. It's about giving you a perfect example of how they put those things into place. And here, Paul gives us this divine case study, this divine case study of Christ who is the perfect example for how we are going to accomplish what Paul is challenging us to do. It's, it's in this divine case study where God is acting out of his self-giving nature. This is reality defined through Christ's example. This is God doing what God does. In verses six and seven, it says that who though he existed in the form of God did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a slave, by looking like other men and by sharing in human nature. That, that word form, J.B. Lightfoot says, form refers to that which is intrinsic and essential to being God. That is to God's attributes. Basically, it's a fancy way of saying that Jesus is God. He's not kind of God. He's not like God. He is God. But this God emptied himself. He he took on a lower form, even though he was in his godlike form. And that word empty is this word kenosis, uh, you know, and, and if, if you want to, you can really get into it, like super into these kenosis theories of what all does that mean for Jesus to go from the form of God and take on the form of man. And unfortunately, we don't have time to talk about that mystery and what all that, that means for Christ to empty himself when taking on the form of man. But here's what we can easily agree on, is that when Jesus goes from one form to the next, he, he gives up his position. He gives up his privilege. And as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, although he was rich, he became poor for your sakes so that by his poverty, you could become rich. Jesus gave up his possessions as well. And what's interesting to me is it's not as if Jesus came from this elevated form of God to this elevated form of man where he picked himself and put himself among the social elites of man. No, Jesus comes humbled, ordinary. And because of that, humble humility and the ordinary says that he's what? He's a slave, he's a servant because of what he's done. I, uh, I had the chance this last fall to go to a couple of Dallas Mavericks games. And I noticed when I was there, they'll put up on the screen, they'll, they'll pick like maybe two to four people and they'll just kind of pick them and they'll be on the, the camera, you know, and, and they'll say, you just got seat upgrades and they'll hand them their new tickets. And these people that were like at the top of the stadium now get a chance to go down and be so much closer to the action. They get a chance to, to, to have these better views of what's taking place on the court. And it's almost as if Jesus, instead of taking the upgrade and getting closer, decides to sit higher, except here's the reality. Jesus had the privilege and the position. He's, he is the guy that has the lifetime season ticket holder that has these, these courtside seats. 
He's right there. He's around all of the other people of position and power that have earned the ability to be right there in the action, to talk to the players, to smell the sweat, to at times have the players fall on top of them when they're going out of bounds to get a ball, right? To, To be seen on television because of how close they are to the action. He's there and instead he traded that and said, I'm going to the nosebleeds. I'm going to the cheap seats. That's the emptying that took place of having one form and going to the other. But he didn't stop there. Verse 8 says that he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, this is the point where sometimes I fear within myself and within you as the audience that these verses and the full gravity of what is taking place here is lost on us. I don't want to sound heretical, but sometimes we know Scripture maybe too well where we have seen the image of the cross so often that it has eroded our full understanding of what is taking place at the cross. Maybe it's the time and how long we've been following Christ, just our familiarity with the story, but something has eroded our understanding. Second century anti-Christian philosopher Celsus understood the humility of the cross. He said, God does not suffer and God cannot be humiliated. And he couldn't accept this message of Christianity based off of what he knew about how the cross brought shame to the person that went through it. High-class Romans wouldn't even speak the word crucifixion because of all that it meant. Only servants and slaves could say it to one another. Christ's example is so other, it's so unnatural, The Jews understood the shame of the cross as well. And in fact, the cross is a great stumbling block for their faith. One rabbi said, this, your so-called Christ is without honor and glory so that he has even fallen into the uttermost curse that is in the law of God for he was crucified. And the commentator goes on to say, for the Jews, it's like calling a prisoner on death's row, Mr. President. They get it. It's ugly. It's shameful. Something that that no one wanted to go through. And sometimes we just don't understand the full gravity of what Christ was not just bringing himself from one form as God to the form of man, but then was pushing it even further and saying, let me take on something that is this nasty, that is this ugly. But it's in this ugliness and horror that the cross speaks to the beauty of God's self-giving nature. This is why the Lord was willing to lower himself to our form. And while we were still enemies, as Romans says, give his life as payment for our wrongdoing so that we can have peace with God. As a student pastor, I get sick of hearing all of these voices 
and self-proclaimed influencers telling teenagers how and where to find their worth and their value. And if they, can, if they can just do enough or if they can just think good enough thoughts about themselves, if they can just stay in this, this realm of positive thinking, then there you will find your meaning and your worth and your value. And when you're down, you can just raise yourself up because of you. I just want to say that every other place that you search for this foundational value outside of the cross is fickle. It can just come and go. It can rise and fall at a moment's notice. But the meaning and the significance that the cross offers mankind is permanent and foundational. At the cross, value was not earned, but it was gifted. And some of you need to hear about this divine value. You've been hunting down value all your life. You've been searching for some type of meaning and worth, like someone that is so thirsty for water. And when you find that next stream that can offer it for just a moment, you lean so heavily on it and drink so heavily from it that so quickly it just dries up. And you, you do what? You hunt for the next place to find that value. Can I tell you, you can stop searching. Your worth has been defined and given by Christ's humble nature and act of self-service on the cross. You want to know how much you are worth? The life of the incarnate God paid for you to have peace with the Father. What else can offer more? Paul goes on to say in verses 9 through 11 that as a result of what Christ has done, God has elevated, he's exalted him, he's gave him a name above every other name. That at that name, every knee will bow to it and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Basically, here's what Paul's saying. He's back in authority running the universe just like he was before he took the form of a man. And eventually, at some point, Christ's self-giving nature, his salvation, and his ways will be recognized by all, by all, by everyone as the ultimate truth in reality. Now, this is a great theological point that Paul is making. And some people believe uh, that this was some type of powerful hymn that Paul is quoting here, or maybe even because of the magnitude of what Paul is saying in these verses, that it was adopted into a hymn in the early church. But surely this divine knowledge isn't all that Paul wants for us. It can't just be truth for truth's sake. If you remember, what did Paul say in verse five? What? You should have the same attitude toward one another that Christ had. So maybe, maybe you have accepted the benefits of Christ's humility and the implication of that value that is given, but you're not seeing others with the same value that you have been seen with. And it's likely that even just this last month and a half of 
the shelter in places where you can look to and say, Mike, that is the moment when I can see this value kind of slipping for the rest of my community, for the rest of even at times my family. The stress, the circumstances, the fear, everything is just kind of taking over. Well, Paul's pushing us to have the same attitude as Christ. Not sure if you're aware, depending on how big of a basketball fan you are, but ESPN just released a documentary called The Last Dance. And although it's looking at different aspects over Michael Jordan's entire career and some of his teammates, primarily it's dealing with the last season that Michael Jordan played for the Chicago Bulls. And as I'm watching this documentary, it's reminding me of when I became a seventh grader and I started playing basketball and I was so far behind everybody else in skill level because I just had started playing. And so MJ was the guy that I just looked to and went, how can I get better? How can I be the best person on my team by this time next year? How can I be the best person in my school in a couple of years? Guess what? That was MJ for me. And this documentary is reminding me, it's like bringing all of that back to life of, of I watched his, how is he, he, you know, he used his hands. I watched his footwork. I, I watched the shot that he had and what he did in the air to try to mimic it, to try to imitate it as best as I could. That's what I wanted is I saw who the best was and to pursue greatness, I wanted to watch greatness as well. You do what? You see it and then you imitate it. You see a God in these verses whose nature is self-giving and whose action values mankind. And then Paul says, have that same mindset. How does Paul live this content, wholesome, abundant life in the midst of the confinement? The value that God has given mankind pushes him to set that same priority structure in his life. People are more important than circumstances. They're more important than comfort. They're more valuable than convenience or preference or self-preservation people. And next week, we're gonna look at other parts of Philippians 2. And as we look at it and we start applying and seeing the implications of what Paul has shared for us today. I just want to be honest with you, Hillside. I would love for you to, to run in front of me on this. This week, use the time that you have to be thinking through how this applies, where the implications find themselves in your everyday life. Beat me to the punch. Next week, when we go through it, I would love not to be speaking to people that are unaware, but to honestly be kind of, in a sense, sitting together on this topic going, yep, that's right where this applies. Yep, I can see how this mindset is going to change everything in my work life right now. I can see how this mindset is going to change everything in my relationship right now. I would love for you to be there and already applying it this week before we even get to it next week. But maybe you're joining in today and you're like, Mike, I have never heard of this type of value, never. 
I've been the guy hunting it down. I've been the guy searching so desperately, finding one dry up so that I can go search for something else to find that type of worth and value. Let me tell you, the value is found in the incarnate God, Jesus, who was content being confined in a human body. He was content to be confined to a cross. He was confined in a tomb for three days and content. Why? Because God in heaven was no longer content to contain the ultimate reality and expression of his love and value for you and for me. So that love crashed to earth through the nature, person, and work of Jesus Christ. He is where you find all that you are looking for. And in this moment, before you even get up, before you even move on to the next thing, right now, if you have been searching and you realize that you're done playing that game, would you in this moment just take time to express your need for him. You can just talk to him right where you are. Express your need. Take time to say, God, I want to take the weight of my faith that I've been putting in all of these other areas that just leave me wanting more. I want to take that weight and now put it on you. I want to find worth in you. Right where you're at. And if you wouldn't mind, if you have any questions or want to have any conversations with us at Hillside or, you know, whatever you need, we're here for you. Reach out to us. We would love to connect with you in this moment. We'd love to hear from you. Let me pray. Father, thank you for these moments together that we get to have in your truth. But also, Lord, may it not stop there. May we be pushed by this mindset and this attitude that Christ had for us to value others more than any circumstance, any fear, anything else that could get in its way. Amen. Hillside, we are so proud of you. We're so proud of your faith. So encouraged to be living life alongside of you. We'll see you next week.